0: I'm speaking with David Dubillet. He has a new exhibition at the Portola Hotel here during the Blue Ocean Film Festival. Thank you for joining me, David. Thanks. It's great to be here. The uh, exhibition is actually right across the the plaza
1: of the Portola Hotel and Spa. Uh, It'll be up for a week. It's an eclectic collection of pictures curated uh, by my uh, partner, Jennifer Hayes. It covers everything from from dolphins in Japan to nudibranchs, those uh, seagoing slugs that are incredibly colorful. The exhibition is printed on uh, standard photographic prints and also canvas, so it's uh, it's interesting.
0: It the canvas images seem very painterly, and you used a really interesting technique to capture these uh, nudibranchs. Um, tell us. Uh, about how you manage to do that. A nudibranch
1: is a seagoing slug, a snail, if you will, without a shell. Its gills are exposed to the ocean, and they look like feathers. They eat very toxic substances, and in, a, in an underwater jungle, their defense and their strategies for defense are some of the most incredibly intensely biologically created uh... things on on this planet for instance they are the most colorful creatures on the planet nobody really knows about them we know about butterflies and moths we know about uh... we know about amazonian parrots we know about the creatures on the coral reefs but nudibranchs are the most colorful creatures on our planet and their defense this color is the longest-running biological advertising campaign in the world. It basically says to predators, here's a soft candy-looking thing, and they actually do look like candy uh, for a predator, I suppose, and for a human. And their colors say to predators, eat me, and you will die. Because nudibranchs feed on very toxic substances like sponges or ascidians or um, uh, other things, uh, hydroids. They incorporate that toxicity into their flesh, and that's their defense. It is an incredible end of underwater biology, a reef, bio,
0: a reef biologist's uh, dream. One of the things I think that's really interesting about this show is the way that it's been curated, the, the combination of images. And for you to look, look at this, you know, is looking back at uh, 25 years of your career. Uh, talk about how you feel about you know, the technology and where you were personally and, and scientifically even on some of the older images compared to where you are now. It's funny. The technology has changed
1: so radically so fast in almost anything that I can think of in any kind of human endeavor. I mean, it took years between, between the change of, uh, obviously, uh, horses to motor cars it took a, a great deal shorter time between the change from a piston aircraft to a jet aircraft. It took a hell of a lot shorter time from a vinyl disc to a, a CD. It's taken a hell of a lot shorter time from the CD to uh, a, a, an iPod player. But photography, this great industry of photography, of chemical photography, built up over two, almost 200 years, changed in two years, at the National Geographic magazine, our editor, Chris Johns, stood in front of us several years ago, I guess about eight years ago, and he said to a kind of a shocked group of photographers, he said, in two years, this magazine will be entirely, entirely digital. And that was the time when 98% of the images coming through the Geographic were filmed. And two years later, 98% of the images coming into the Geographic were digital. For a photographer buying equipment, it's an exercise in ultimate buyer's remorse. You know you've bought the wrong piece of equipment at the minute your credit card goes through the machine because everything changes quickly, automatically, and constantly for the better. Uh, digital cameras get better and better. They are are they are able to make images where there's almost no light. We can do things with them that we are only beginning to dream of but all of it is based on vision and all of it is based on a long history of making pictures with cameras in other words older photography
0: now um, I'm wondering if you could uh, talk about we're here for the blue ocean Film Festival so one of the import of your images is to show us a world that may be disappearing um, you know, these things that you're photographing, um, you suggested that you know you're at, you are in fact indeed exploring. You're capturing some of the first images of these of these creatures in their natural habitat. But this uh, exploration may turn out to be a, a vision of extinction.
1: We, uh, all of us underwater photographers gathering here in Monterey, uh, live with the extreme knowledge that. Uh, We have a Damoclean sword hanging over our heads, and that Damoclean sword is climate change. Climate change is about water. As the planet warms, uh, everything changes, whether it's the melting polar ice caps or something far, far more insidious. The enormous amount of CO2 the ocean has absorbed, and in um, in this act, it has also changed the very chemistry of the ocean. Because of that, the coral polyp, that little tiny creature the size of an infant's fingernail, cannot reproduce its calcium carbonate house, its skeleton, uh, to survive. And therefore, uh, many scientists, including uh, Dr. Charles Varen, C.E.V. Varen, of the, uh, formerly of the Australian Institute of Marine Science, has predicted that the barrier reef in the next 30 years, will all but disappear. Um, by the end of the century, it will be gone. What's happening? The poles are changing. What's happening all over our water planet is changing right now. And it's changed us from being recorders of incredibly new things, whether it's, a, a, whether it's the way a crocodile swims beneath the Okavanga uh, River in Africa or a piece of reef biology or a great whale. All of this is changing. We may be, as photographers, documenting a place and a time that will no longer exist a lot sooner
0: than we thought. One of the things that you do as a photographer is to uh, bring us pictures of creatures we've never seen before. And in the latest uh, issue of the National Geographic, you Set your sights on eels. Now, one of the things, when I looked at some of your photography, uh, at your photographs for this piece, um, it just really struck me how difficult this must be to work in. It must be like going from taking pictures in a a football stadium to trying to photograph a family of gnomes living in somebody's sock drawer. (laughs) In the sock
1: drawer? Well, Jennifer Hayes, my partner Jennifer Hayes and I, suggested, uh, wrote a proposal uh, to photograph the life of eels. We joined uh, the brilliant artist and journalist and uh, scientific writer, our, uh, our colleague James Prosek, in an endeavor to follow the uh, path of eels, freshwater eels. Freshwater eels are one of the few creatures that are completely unlike salmon. They mate in the sea and live their lives in the rivers and streams on land. There are no eels on the West Coast. Eels are a product of East Coast uh, environment, and they inhabit every river and stream from Brazil to Nova Scotia. At one point, the freshwater eel was 50% of the biomass in much of the Great Lakes and the rivers and streams of North America, 50% of the biomass.
0: That's amazing.
1: Now, here's the pitiful part, boys and girls. As an assignment, it was a nightmare because here it is. Here's a creature that is brown, lives in brown water, comes (laughs) out at night, and people generally don't like, except if you're Japanese or British Belgian or British or Norwegian or basically in usual blind American way, unlike we are unlike unlike the rest of the world, we don't like them. They adore them. And eels are now overfished. Uh, their whole life cycle has been threatened by the Great Dams and the St. Lawrence River very near our homes, where they can't get into the Great Lakes. Uh, It is a story in the entire world where these hydroelectric projects are stopping the eels from migrating in. American and European freshwater eels are born theoretically in the Sargasso Sea. They go from a willow-shaped leaf larvae into a thin, round eel within a year and then rush the American coastline or the European coastline to try and fight their way into the rivers and streams and then live their lives in the rivers and streams growing from a thin glass eel um, an inch and a half long into something that may weigh 10 or 15 pounds changing colors, changing everything else until they're old silver eels and then they migrate out to spawn and die back to the Sargasso Sea. Now here's the interesting part. No one's ever photographed the death or the spawning or the birth of eels. It's a story without a beginning and a story without end. But in the middle, it's a hell of a life. And we photographed from uh, our home in the St. Lawrence River, to the coast of Maine, to Europe, uh, on the eel coast of Sweden, to Japan, and to New Zealand where the largest eels live, the New Zealand Longfield eel that can grow up to 60 or 70 pounds and live probably to 100 years if they don't migrate out. They are a mystery, and it's in the August issue. James Prosek has written an incredibly interesting story, uh, and some of the pictures are now hanging in the gallery in the Portola, near the Portola Hotel as part of the Blue Ocean Film Festival. We're lucky for this, uh, for this window here in Monterey, the city of underwater photography, it's the hotbed of the best, uh, best filmmakers and pho- photographers who deal with the sea in the world. Naval of underwater image making and, and science in the, in the world, at least, and at least in our country. The Rolex Corporation has helped us out. National Geographic, the Portola Hotel, has donated a wonderful set of uh, rooms which have become a gallery. And, of course, uh, ILCP. The organization that Jennifer and I belong to, along with a few uh, few other photographers, the International League of Conservation Photography. And uh, it's been a terrific collaborative effort to put this exhibition together. Come
0: and see it. I've been speaking with David dubelay He's got a new exhibition down here at the Portola Hotel in Monterey with the Blue Ocean Film Festival. Thank you for joining me, David.